Warning, we're not medical professionals. We're just two gross weirdos fascinated by bodily functions who read too much WebMD. This podcast will contain some pretty gross content, so listen at your own risk. Gross Podcast. podcast i'm katie and i'm jessica this is a podcast where we talk about gross bodily functions and phenomena Woo! <laughs> um how is your body feeling today katie uh, i'm having like massive cramps Aww. not happy i had to sit under a heating pad for like a half hour before i felt like i could get up and do anything i'm sorry that sucks. Cramps are the worst. Yeah. But other than that, I feel like I'm doing pretty great. How's your body? It's fine. It's super hot outside, so I am tired of the heat already, and I'm tired of trying to find shorts or underwear or things that protect my inner thighs. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I don't know if it was the shoes I was wearing or because I sat crisscross applesauce for a really long time at the lake yesterday. Uh, but my hip hurts. Oh, like it just feels like out of place. Um, it could also just be like I don't know. Since it was a year ago that Tim was hurt, maybe I'm having some sort of like psychological <laughs> reaction to that. <laughs> but like, it's sympathetic hip yeah, pain. Exactly. Uh, but he rode his bike on the anniversary of his crash. And, uh, what a trooper! Felt, yeah, I think he felt really good about that. Uh, that he's like, ain't nothing gonna. Hold me down. (laughs) Or whatever. Yeah. But other than heat and body weirdness, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm feeling that heat, too. I I feel like I'm not made for this. (laughs) So what are we going to talk about today? This week we have a little shorty topic for you since our last episode was pretty long and... Um, we don't want to totally overwhelm Jessica with editing for yeah. weeks at a time. Um, so we wanted to talk about this really interesting uh, condition called Morgellons. And um, this condition is particularly interesting because it is what they call unexplained dermopathy. Uh, it's also known as skin crawling disease. And it is, um, it is well, uh, the symptoms are well defined in, um, medical literature, but there is a lot of, uh, like debate. There's debate about whether it's a, a psychological delusion or actually a, a physical condition. And there were a lot of conspiracy theories associated with it, which we both like. So, um, 
Do you want to talk about what symptoms people with Morgellons experience? Yeah, and I'm going to give the caveat that I, we kept calling it Morgellons before this, and so I may accidentally call it Morgellons. <laughs> yeah, this this condition, you can use either a hard G or a soft G, but we'll probably pronounce it wrong a lot of the time. Anyways, but it's, it sounds like it's supposed to be pronounced like Magellan. <laughs> But uh, so the symptoms basically include people having a really intense itching sensation, uh, which usually results in kind of obsessive picking and itching at the skin. And um, most people believe or there's some evidence of there being fibers in their skin. Uh, One of the and we'll probably talk about this more like bummers is that it sort of has been cast off by the medical community so there isn't a lot of research done on it and which is kind of to the detriment of people that are clearly experiencing something and it's been kind of written off as a psychological condition that people want to say oh well we're not going to really study that because it's not legitimate Uh, it seems like there's been some analysis of the fibers and they that people are finding coming out of their skin uh, and they usually tend to be like organic materials, like cotton. Uh, people have also found there being like fungi kind of related material or hairs and things like that. Uh, the really cynical explanation is that these are just from the air or from people's clothing. They're just from the environment and that people are, you know, doing this obsessive scratching and this obsessive picking and that's kind of contaminating their wounds and probably what they're finding is just what's in the environment around them mm-hmm. um and we'll get a little bit more into maybe what it is or what it could be but as far as anyone knows it's rather mysterious yeah and it's it's definitely like it seems like the medical community is about 80% convinced that it's just a delusion and 20% open to the possibility that it it is actually rooted in um, a, a physical experience. The National Center for Biotechnology Information, which is part of the U.S. National Library of Medicine, um, has has said that the clinical studies supporting the hypothesis that Morgellons disease is exclusively delusional in origin have considerable methodological flaws and often neglect the fact that mental disorders can result from underlying somatic illness. And um, they go on to explain that basically a lot of the studies that have been done on patients with Morgellons um, don't actually prove that it's not a physiological disease. They they have um, concluded some of what Jessica talked about, where the, the um, fibers are of other origin, um, and they people seem to be like in line with traditional definitions of having delusions, but they're not able to prove that. Um, a person is actually suffering from some kind of mental health crisis associated with this. And there has also been some research 
um, that proves there might be something to the physiological symptoms. There have been some studies done on these fibers that have shown that they are um, they're they're not known textile fibers from outside the environment that they are actually produced by um, human epithelial I'm going to say this word wrong epithelial cells mm. um, and that these fibers are created or they're made out of keratin and collagen that they are consistent with something that is produced inside of our skin mm. um, they're basically like a different kind of hair so um, I don't know why some studies are able to find that and others are not and it seems like a lot of these studies have, have been really difficult to reproduce um, and I think that this is something that absolutely warrants more research and probably we'll see some more research in the coming years so yeah um, well what's yeah. interesting is most people, well, basically all people are self-diagnosed, and I think one of the intriguing things is it seems to be very kind of specific to the internet age, <laughs> and there's a good chance from some of the articles that I read that it could kind of, the people who are self-diagnosing could have a whole bunch of different disorders, like be it psychological or physical, and that because people are suffering from something they're going onto the internet and finding these communities of people with that are self-diagnosing with this condition. And we were talking about a little bit before we started recording about how, like, once when I got diagnosed with some stuff from a therapist, she was talking to me about, like, diagnostic euphoria and that it's really common that when somebody gets diagnosed with something that there's kind of this, like, rush of euphoria that happens uh, because you finally can put a name to something and you know the other people are experiencing something that is similar to what you're going through. You feel less isolated and you feel less stigmatized and you're not blaming yourself as much. And so it kind of seems to me that a lot of what people are doing is kind of a coping mechanism to be able to find these communities. And instead, they're kind of being written off and... Um, one of the things that in my work, I work with a lot of folks that have mental illness um, of a variety of sorts. And I mean, we always emphasize that like whatever that person's experiencing, like it's super real to them. So you can't really go from the angle of like, well, this isn't happening because that person is experiencing this though. And it's also usually related to some sort of precipitating event um, so, for example, if I'm working with somebody who is telling me that they're being sexually assaulted by aliens or something, usually there is some event that precipitated that, usually an actual sexual assault. And uh, due to them being predisposed maybe for schizophrenia, then when they're having PTSD flashbacks, that their brain is making sense of that through their disposition for their predisposition for schizophrenia. And so that doesn't mean that there's not something going on. Uh, just to folks that are maybe more neurotypical, they have a hard time understanding something that maybe sounds really fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, and it it doesn't help that there are a lot of um, conspiracy theories about Morgellons that that do seem uh, exceptionally fantastical. Yeah. <laughs> um, things that like this is a 
a fungus or nanotechnology. Oh, I was really into the nanotechnology one because that made me think of X Files. <laughs> dispersed onto us by chemtrails or other biological weapons or in aliens. an effort to or aliens or the or that they the fibers are um, alien parasites themselves, and that this was done in an effort to control us or give us cancer or some other. Um, condition so that we'll spend more money on cancer drugs. Um, there, there's a lot of stuff that sounds a little bit out there, um, and uh, um, I got a little nervous, kind <laughs> of watching and reading some of this material because yeah. um, I don't want to poke fun at what these people are going through yeah. and what they believe, um, but. Th- these conspiracies, um, which a conspiracy can actually be a true thing that doesn't insinuate that it's a false, wacky idea, um, but these conspiracies or conspiracy theories um, definitely contribute to this disease not being taken seriously by a lot mm. of medical professionals. Um, but one of the conspiracies that I do really want to talk about is that it is um, that Morgellons is uh, comorbid or caused by Lyme disease. Oh, interesting. Did you not come across that? I didn't come across uh-huh. that. So it was interesting because I read a bunch of different sources and then I went back to the Wikipedia article and I noticed that Lyme disease is mentioned in almost every other source I was looking at, including really critical, credible um, sources like this the National Center for Biotechnology Biotechnology Information. Um, it sounds not real or like it's from a TV but show. But it's part <laughs> of the U.S. National Library of Medicine, which is part of the National Institutes of Health. Um, almost all of these other articles mentioned Lyme disease, and it is completely absent from the Wikipedia article. So I feel like the Wikipedia article is totally on lockdown by somebody who does not believe in this at all. Oh, and we could have a – there should be other podcasts maybe there are dedicated to Wikipedia politics. Yeah. Um, But one thing that a lot of studies have found, even the studies that have dismissed Morgellons as being delusional, have found that it is, like, incredibly – common for it to be comorbid with Lyme disease. Mm. Like upwards of like 80 or 90% of people who um, have self-diagnosed with Morgellons have um, like long-term or recurrent or um, I forget what the, the term is, but um, like Lyme disease that you have th- throughout your life, which is interesting because that is also something that is Disputed. Disputed in medicine. A lot of people don't believe that Lyme disease is something that stays with you. Yeah. Um, But Lyme disease is caused by this type of bacteria called Borrelia. um, I think it's called like Borrelia burgdorfers. Burgdorfers. Something. (laughs) Um, But Borrelia is a type of... Spirochete, is a, it's a spiral-shaped bacteria, and um, we we don't totally know everything that Lyme disease does. Even the parts of Lyme disease that are accepted widely in modern medicine, we're not, um, we haven't, we don't have all of the information, I guess, about um, what it does and what symptoms it causes. 
Um, we're still figuring that out. Um, but there, the most interesting thing that I found about Morgellons is that um, there is a disease in cows. It's called um, bovine digital dermatitis. Ooh. That almost, it's it's sort of like a, it looks like a wart that cows get on the bottom of their hoof. But it's caused by another spirochete bacteria and it grows as fibrous filaments, almost like hairs growing out of their skin. Whoa. I know. So some of this research is saying, like, well, if another type of spirochete can cause, the like, similar types of fibers to grow out of skin in another animal, it is totally possible that a spirochete bacteria like Lyme disease in humans can cause fibers to grow in our skin. Yeah. Well, it's not that far-fetched. So did you, I'm guessing you read about where the name came from, mm-hmm. where I guess we could give some sort of background to kind of how this came about as a condition that people were self-diagnosing at, with, Uh so it was in a 2001, I think. Yeah, 2001. Uh, there was a lady named Mary Letow uh, who had a. Am I saying that right? Oh, yeah. Lido, Letow, something like that. Uh, she had a two-year-old son who had some sores on his lip uh, that she said uh, had fibers coming out of them, and he was saying that he felt like he had bugs crawling on him, yeah. and he was getting these lesions and they were producing these fibers and she went to doctors and specialists at john hopkins and they were telling her that these were just fibers from the environment and that you know maybe her kid had something else uh they suggested that he had what was called you said it before the delusional para uh, delusional parasitosis delusional parasitosis <laughs> which is the psychiatric condition that you imagine uh, bugs crawling all over you and things of that nature and they uh, kind of accused her of having uh, Munchausen's by proxy which I don't know if that quite fits into our theme but maybe we should find a way because I want to have an episode on that because I find it fascinating it's really kind of emotionally gross yeah i think it well it's really hard because munchausen's by proxy there's a lot of debate especially in the like sort of like uh interpersonal violence world about whether or not you should really consider munchausen's by proxy to be like a mental illness necessarily because that kind of excuses away instances where it's really been used as a form of abuse Mm -hmm. um and so maybe, maybe she did have it. Maybe she didn't. I don't know. I don't know, Mary. But she started like an organization, like a nonprofit to try and get people to research uh, this condition. She named it after uh, uh, it was a medical history essay called A Letter to a Friend from 1656 Ooh. by uh, Sir Thomas Brown. So 
clearly this lady was taking a deep dive into <laughs> trying yeah. to figure out like, what was going on with her kid. How much research did she have to do to find that letter? Yeah. I know she was a biologist by trade. So oh, she, really? That makes that fascinating. She was familiar with research and going through it and, and I'm sure had access to a lot of um, like uh, educational and scientific databases and stuff. But yeah. Still, it takes a lot of work to dig up something like that, especially yeah. if you don't have a name for what you're looking for. Well, and when we're talking about this Wikipedia conspiracy that we now have, which mm -hmm. isn't really a conspiracy, I took a, a whole class that delved into the sexism of Wikipedia, <laughs> uh, that clearly whoever's editing this article is really leaving out her uh, scientific background mm -hmm. and trying to make her out to sound like a crazy person. No, um, she was a scientist. Yeah, and... So the article in question uh, referred to, this is a quote, that endemial distemper of children in Languedoc called the Morgellons, wherein they critically break out with harsh hairs um, on their backs. So there's, in, in history, apparently some uh, indication that there's been cases recorded of at least hairs growing out. I know that there is that condition where you can uh, have more hair produced on your body than is typical. I don't know if that's a totally different thing. Uh, I think there are actually quite a few conditions that can cause hair growth to be kind of irregular. Mm -hmm. And there's hormonal reasons mm -hmm. and like I've known of, uh, what is it, thyroid conditions causing that as well. Mm -hmm. and, and actually that's another thing I found since you mentioned that is that the the most likely demographic to um, develop or self-diagnose with Morgellons is white women in the 35 to 50-year-old age bracket who have hypothyroidism. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's... See, I love things like this because, like, whenever... I feel like I try to keep, like, such an open mind where I'm, like, in this neutral zone, and definitely, and I get this when I work with clients, too, that uh, I kind of have to have my colleagues talk me down a little bit from, like, entering into their delusions, uh, because <laughs> I get really like, no, maybe this is real, this, yeah, this is real, the government is planting machines in your TV, and, like, <laughs> my brain is just really willing to go there for some reason. In, and that might be part of why I really empathize with people in situations like this because, you know, even if there isn't hard science or, you know, hard information out there to give it some sort of acceptance in the more larger medical world, I think there's always stuff that we don't know and we can't assume that we've somehow hit the end of science. I mean, I think that's arrogant and oh, yeah, naive. That we never will. And, you know, like our our brain likes to make sense of things by categorizing them and labeling them. So um, the fact that people are finding unexplained filaments in their skin, that's mm -hmm. something that, that we want to characterize. And I think that for most people, like, you know, considering this is such a reoccurring issue, it's, it's really hard to believe that all of it is a delusion. Yeah, and I, I read some stuff about potentially it being psoriasis coupled with maybe a psychiatric condition. But I think that at the end of the day, it's like, yeah, there is something, though, happening. There is, you know, a, like you were saying, a somatic condition that is 
mm-hmm. legitimate. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's telling. And I had an old boss who brought this up uh, at one point because this and many other paranoid disorders are ones that we have encountered. And uh, my boss had brought up that forever, like for so long, people didn't believe in fibromyalgia. And now that's more and more so being legitimized in the medical community. And the reason why they didn't believe it was because it was predominantly affecting women. Mm -hmm. And doctors were thinking, oh, there's just these hysterical women coming in and making up this disorder. And now people are recognizing there's a nerve condition that is probably causing this. And we just haven't been able to fully explain it yet. Yeah. And And I think... Um, like you mentioned in the 1600s when this disease was sort of first identified, I guess. Yeah. Um, but there were a lot of studies in the early 1900s regarding it as well. And, um, they found, uh, like a lot of similar hair type filaments. They didn't really have the science to determine like where they came from or what they were made up of. Um, and there was some some issues with the way that they uh, classified whether or not somebody was having delusions. Um, but they found that a lot of the people who they had identified as as having what looked like Morgellons also had syphilis, hmm. which can, oh, which causes delusions, causes a lot of delusions. So yeah. I think that that the the comorbidity with syphilis is probably what launched the idea that this is solely delusional yeah and even though most of the people in these studies also had Lyme disease that was kind of brushed aside even though Lyme disease is more common than syphilis yeah they sort of clung to the idea that it might be caused by it might be a delusion caused by syphilis well so one of the things that I read that I thought was super interesting, um, well, a lot of the things I was looking at were talking about it being like a mass hysteria. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a there's a really good Guardian article uh, that I highly suggest people Google where uh, the author interviewed a professor at Harvard Medical. Uh, her name was uh, Anne Louise Oaklander. And she talked about how basically – psychologically like itching is kind of contagious and so her theory is that there's maybe something happening in these folks nerves that uh is can be sort of like triggered and then become overactive to like feel like they're itching all the time yeah and but i think it's fascinating because both the author in this article and we were talking about how we're reading this and we can't stop itching from just reading about other people itching well it's also like hot and gross out so yeah but like just... literally all anyone has to do is say bed bugs and i can't stop itching it's <laughs> it there is something to itching that's similar to like the contagion of laughter and like maybe mm-hmm. if you you know sort of contagiously pick up a, sort of an itching fit if you are the theory is by this gal that the if you are predisposed kind of to having overactive nerves that are working overtime in the itching zone, I don't know how nerves really work, but that you could, you know, say have a tick and that makes you itch 
And then you also have Lyme disease, but maybe because you had overactive nerves that then you're just feeling this itching sensation all the time. Mm-hmm. It's possible that something contributing to that is that a lot of these cases are clustered in the same places in like Texas and California, um, places that do tend to be hot and humid. And um, interesting that you would mention it as being like a response to some kind of trigger because one of the tests that people have been using to, to try to see if these um, fibers or whatever's producing these fibers will respond to anything is a particular um, sound. It's like a, a tone, mm. almost like somebody hitting a tuning fork or something um, oh. that that sort of causes your your skin to get excited or pins and needly. And so like you can you can find YouTube videos where you can like self like ASMR. You can <laughs> well it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit more um I I don't want to say like well, yeah. It's it's just it's just a tone that they play. Yeah. It almost sounds like that the like um emergency test system response <laughs> yeah. signal or something. Yeah. Um but you can you can go on YouTube and self-test if you have more gelins to see if your skin responds to this sound or Whoa. not. Mine did not. I I'm didn't gonna even go feel itchy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm going to have more gelins tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> well, but if it if there if it is possible that there is some kind of sound that triggers this, I mean, we have all kinds of environmental things both um uh, natural and mad man-made that produce sounds. So, like, it could be some kind of like radio frequency broadcaster that's producing a sound that is triggering this um, cutaneous response in people. That makes me think of because one of the articles I read, the guy said who had it said that he was just like overtaken after going to the movies. Whoa. And I that makes me think of there's a I think it's a French film where they the director included sounds that aren't audible but that we have like a visceral reaction to because they were re- related to like earthquakes. Whoa. Yeah, and like the whole point of the movie it's irreversible if anybody's familiar with Gaspar Noé. Um and like, the whole idea was to make people, like, really uncomfortable in this yeah. way that they, like, couldn't identify. And maybe... Doesn't he... that movie also make you really uncomfortable in ways that are very easy to identify? Yeah, like the seven-minute rape scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But weird that they need to piggyback on that in order to really make you feel uncomfortable. We could have a long conversation about how I think that's a really fantastic movie, actually, but... <laughs> Um, I think it's really critical of toxic masculinity and uh, lots of other things. But what I did come across that I found really fascinating was uh, kind of how itching affects us differently than pain. And like that scientists have kind of identified that it is almost worse than pain because it's stronger in a different way than pain. Hmm. And um, so it was German researchers in the 80s. And they found that uh, while nerve pain uh, had a jurisdiction of, like, about a a millimeter, uh, itching can uh, basically disturb you within three inches. Whoa. Yeah. So, like, if you have an itching sensation, it's going to be more 
overtaking of your body than pain. So it's much more capable of just, yeah, becoming all-encompassing because yeah. it has a farther reach. Well, I think, like, our, our bodies, like, um, like, our body's involuntary response to pain is usually to, like, make a noise or or sort of, like, contort up a little mm. bit or so to try to, like, move our muscles to stop it. But our body's response to itching is frequently to compulsively scratch. Mm-hmm. And that is so hard to resist. And I say that as a person who... Um, like reacts incredibly strongly to mosquito bites and yeah um other other things like that i'm i I i've fought with scratching a lot in my life a lot more than some people and um it's i it's hard to fight that or yeah so like when you like i feel like i really identify with people making it worse because I think about, like, times that I have had, like, a weird hair that I'm trying to pluck. Mm-hmm. And, like, I have gouged myself, like, just trying to get rid of this bizarre weird hair. Where do you get weird hairs like that? Got, that's mostly when I used to shave my armpits and, like, then oh. I would get, you know, like, ingrown hair, like, yeah. hairs and stuff. I have occasionally gotten, like, you know, a, as you age, facial hair that's darker than the rest of them. You know, like, things like that where you're just trying to get rid of this hair and you're like oh it doesn't matter if i'm making myself more cosmetically ugly like i just need the hair out yeah well i get that way with acne for sure yeah i can just completely see why you would go nuts yeah oh i can't can (laughs) i can't imagine pulling like it pulling one of these fibers out of your skin like some some sources say that they're microscopic some say that they are visible to the naked eye, but the, pulling one of these out of your skin must be like pulling out like the gnarliest bundle of ingrown hairs or mm-hmm. something. It, ugh, I would love to see a video of it. <laughs> yeah, it's really intense. So of the self-reported cases, the last count that we have is from 2009, when over 14,000 people self-diagnosed with Morgellons. And um, some of those people are pretty famous. Um, do you want to talk about one of them? <laughs> so I think it's I, – I read this article uh, that talked about Joni Mitchell self-diagnosing, and it, it sounds really sad and awful, and I, I mean really both for Joni Mitchell and the other folks who have this, I really don't want it to seem like we're poking fun – uh, in interviews, she describes it as uh, like a disorder from outer space. Uh, she calls it a terrorist disease. It, she says it will blow up one of your organs and leave you in bed for a year. Uh, she says she has fibers in a variety of colors that protrude out of her skin like mushrooms after a rainstorm. And she claims that they can't be forensically identified as animal, vegetable, or mineral. Um, and I think that like really hit me because I was like, oh, she's even a 
beautiful, gorgeous poet, like, in her description of this thing that is clearly, like, destroying her life. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like she has been, like, bedridden at times, unable to be out in the public, and has impacted her furthering her music career as a result of, of having this condition. And it sounds like she came out with a book last year that now I really want to read, like, a, or it was like a biography uh not I don't think it was a memoir like someone wrote a biography of her based on her life and things that she's grown up with and she sounds like she's had a really hard difficult life and you know this has just resulted in this horrible situation be it you know who knows if it's a mental illness or if it's you know a mental illness and something else happening like we were saying before but um I've always liked Joni Mitchell's music and so it was like sad to me to hear i'd never heard before that she's been suffering so much yeah um there was also uh an oakland a's pitcher named billy koch sorry if i'm mispronouncing that i'm not a baseball person um and it actually ended his career because he Mm -hmm. was um facing so much like uncontrollable muscle twitching and like losing so much sleep and Um, training time over this that he like ceased to be able to play uh, professional baseball which is like kind of like horrible that this can have that much of an impact on somebody and um, he had it his wife had it has I guess um, he his wife and their three children all Mm. have it and um, just like Joni Mitchell like he also has a lot of resources and access to medical care to get this um, tested and treated in all of the tests that he has had done, he and his family have had done on the filaments that they're able to, um, or that are coming out of their skin, have been inconclusive. Like, nobody can figure out what it is. Uh, And, you know, people are calling them delusional and all kinds of things, and they've found some, some sympathetic doctors, but the the doctors the few and far between doctors who are sympathetic like also don't necessarily have access to the resources to uh to do the testing necessary to mm-hmm. figure out what exactly this is um i imagine that's a really difficult position to be in to be a doctor and believe this is a real thing but know that it's not taken seriously by most of the medical community yeah like i saw something about there was a researcher who was trying to get uh, he had like collected a bunch of fibers from people all over the world and was trying to send them to labs to get them tested Mm -hmm. and I guess a lot of the labs figured out that that's what he was trying to study and they just said no yeah and in some of the the tests that were done in the mid-2000s after um, Mary Latai's um like studies on it they straight up lost the samples hmm. like mid testing so they were never it does able make you to feel like there's a conspiracy theory produce results right is <laughs> probably caused by the government <laughs> i mean how like how often is it does that happen that a sample gets lost i mean maybe actually that's really i feel common. like that does happen yeah I mean, well, like, from the the handful of, like, true crime podcasts and such that I listen to, at least law enforcement's real good at losing stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but we were talking about before, too, like, how we feel like we can really empathize with folks that are experiencing this because 
like at least from my life i have gone to doctors for various things often kind of ibs related and been told that it's being caused by anxiety and then basically shoved out the door and Mm -hmm. you know even if it's an I mean, I said to one doctor at some point that I was like, well, if this is being caused for anxiety, can you or by anxiety, can you please help me treat my anxiety? And they were basically like, no. And I had to do all of my own sort of groundwork of trying to go to therapy and and figure things out for myself when not that, you know, it's not empowering to have a, you know, a doctor make all your appointments for you or something. But it, it was the like dismissal of it that was really discouraging for a really long time, you know, that it was. I had doctors say, well, this sounds like it's all in your head. And that gives you a certain feeling of guilt and blame. Like, it's your fault. Like, you chose to make this up. And I Mm -hmm. don't think whether or not these are delusions or they are something physical or they're both of those things, I don't think any of these people are choosing to be in this situation. And, like, I think that that's really an important distinction. Yeah. I mean, of all of the comorbid psychological conditions that came up when we were studying this i don't think any one of them was narcissism no (laughs) it's not like these people are just doing it for attention yeah i don't think so at all i mean there's a lot of things that aren't like long-term physically scarring that you could do for attention Mm -hmm. so yeah that's pretty much all we've got about this disease super interesting super googleable um (laughs) Tons of conspiracy-related videos. Um, wasn't it? It was featured on an episode of Criminal Minds, I oh, think. I maybe. I, I think I first saw it in an episode of House, maybe. Yeah. Um, also where I first heard of Munchausen's by Proxy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you are interested, there's a lot of information out there. Yeah. Just be careful if you're predisposed to uh, paranoid uh, delusions, if just you're in case. a hypochondriac. <laughs> yeah. Because... <laughs> Because it sounds like there's still a debate out there. And, you know, I just, I think it's ridiculous that, I, I mean, obviously doctors have to be transparent if they're going to give someone an antipsychotic. But, like, you know, it doesn't seem like the doctors were even attempting to treat people's, you know, if it is schizophrenia, if it is a paranoid delusion, it didn't seem like doctors were really trying to, like, refer to psychiatrists or anything like that. In and some of the studies just... that I saw, they, they did try treating people with antipsychotics. Oh, and that did? seemed to, like help briefly but not Mm. actually eradicate the condition yeah but you also have to like with any drugs that affect your brain usually right you know go through the gamut and and i my feeling is that there's a more delicate way that doctors could approach the fact that it could be a delusion and they're not doing that and they're making people feel guilty and and then they're not getting the care that they actually need. Yeah. Also a lot of antipsychotics like totally um depress <laughs> yeah. everything about your your system and your um your brain and they probably not only suppressed what might have looked like delusions but suppressed a lot of other things that were mm-hmm. going on. Um so I don't know that that is necessarily a clear indication of it helping yeah. um, as much as it making patients less inconvenient for a doctor to deal with. Yeah. So don't treat mentally ill people like an inconvenience. Yeah. every That's that's the one nice, like, especially nice thing I took away from this, um, this NIH article was it basically said that, like, they really um, – 
refute the idea that this is totally delusional because um, even if it is, that is causing a lot of doctors to completely dismiss patients and not look into this any further and to not, it's, it's sort of allowing doctors to um, get off without giving patients the care that they deserve. Yeah. And that doctors in the United States need to be doing better. Yeah. This was a gross body soapbox. And <laughs> if you want to hear funnier episodes, uh, you can go to our website at grossbod.com. If you have uh, more gelins or anything going on with your body, for the love of God, send us pictures. About, send us pictures. Send us emails at grossbodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Bod with a B. And don't forget to air out your vagina. <laughs> We are going to play the sound now. Try to relax and focus on any sensations that may occur around your body. Three, two, one.